Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Friends, so I got to say, I'm going to get right into the word because I've got some meat for you today. Meat. I'm talking about the berry. This is this is a bones dinner right here today. It's bones. Ooh, I love bones. Mmm. It's a really nice, uh, rather pricey, but very nice uh, steak restaurant here in the in Buckhead. Ooh, boy. When is Rabbi Appreciation Month? When is that? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, that's great. We, we actually passed it recently, although no one noticed. Uh, okay, uh, get, get ready. <laughs> get ready, friends. Uh, today's message is much more of a teaching than a preaching. Okay, I'm going to tell you is that a lot of times I'm kind of bringing it and preaching it. Today is a little bit more of a teaching. It's what I have for you. It doesn't have my typical humor or my attempt, okay, if you'd like to call it that, you know, my attempt. It doesn't have a lot of my attempts of, of, of humor that I, but I'm nonetheless really, really excited about it. Uh, it it's not that it's, uh, it's, not that it's um, condemning in any way. It's not about that. Uh, it's just very, very a deep message. It's going to connect Yeshua even more to the Torah and to Yeshua's Jewishness in a way that will well, open your eyes, I think, and it's going to further demonstrate that Yeshua did not come to start a new religion. I hope you all know that. I mean, that's kind of like a, a pretty easy one if you actually read the Tanakh and all the prophecies and, and that which is the new covenant that is to come and the Messiah that is to come. It's a complete continuation uh, uh, of this whole faith. It, uh, and so uh, Yeshua inextricably connected to the Old Covenant, to the Tanakh. If you don't understand the Tanakh, the Old Covenant, uh, you can't understand Yeshua in his fullness. And without the Old Covenant, Yeshua's sacrifice is meaningless. So you have to, you have, to have the full package together. We're going to talk about this a little bit today in a, in a way that, man, after I finished, I thought, man, maybe I should have uh, saved this one for Yom Kippur. But uh, but honestly, and, and I'll tell you very candidly, forthrightly, I've been trying to get a lot of things done this week. I'm going on a trip uh, relatively soon, some of you know. And so uh, sometimes when you're going on, I, I was ahead of my head, okay, well, I'm going on this trip. I've got so many things to do. I know that none of you ever have a lot to do. I know every one of you do. Okay, right? We all have a lot to do, right? But sometimes it's just kind of like crunch time, right, Jack? you got so much and I got to get everything ready. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, sat down on the computer, ready to write the message. And I was like, okay, oh, okay, just I hope something relatively easy comes through my fingers right now because I have so much to do. And uh, I thought it was funny because uh, 
the Lord did not hear my prayer. <laughs> or he heard my prayer and said, no. <laughs> you know, God sometimes answers prayers and no. Some people think, well, God didn't hear my prayer. Well, actually, God did hear your prayer and he said no. We don't like to hear that. You know, that's not a very popular message. That doesn't get the that doesn't get a lot of likes on YouTube, but that's okay. I'm not looking but for one like at the end of the day, you know. Most importantly, you know, listen, I, I love you all, but you know what I'm saying? I want him to like my YouTube video and say, okay, I like that one. Woo, okay, I get that like, the rest, okay, whatever, it doesn't matter. Okay, but, but so, because uh, sometimes God's clock and ours don't mesh very well, and, and we best go with God's clock. And so, this message probably took me twice as long as a normal message to do. And it was like, wow, man, are you serious? That's the, that's the topic? That's a t it's just, it's been a little bit of a left turn from the messages I've been giving. I thought, wow, that is really, I really, really, do we want to do this today? I mean, I had this discussion with God of sorts, you know, in my own way. Yeah, this is the message. Okay, well, let's dig into this. And boy, let's, and boy, once I dug, I just, boy, then I just found myself rabbit trailing because I just couldn't get enough of it. I found it very, very interesting. Uh, and there's even a lot more depth that I'm going to be sharing with you today. But I don't have, but I have limited time. I think it's really beautiful though. Okay, so this Shabbat is, is, uh, is unique. There's a few Shabbatot, there's a few Shabbats during the year within Judaism that are considered special Shabbats for one reason or another, some of them more significantly than others. But certain Shabbats have kind of special names, special names to the Shabbats. This is one of those Shabbats. It's called Shabbat Para. Shabbat para. Now, when I say it in Hebrew, honestly, it sounds royal, it sounds majestic, it sounds impressive. Wow, listen to the rabbi doing that, doing that Hebrew, and boy, a special Shabbat, Shabbat para. Wow, it sounds so, so neat. But when I translate it into English, it's not so grandiose, because that's, this is, in fact, the Sabbath of the cow. Moo! <laughs> that, <laughs> that is Shabbat para. You know, I should have I served Chick-fil-A after the service today. You know, I should have. It's the Shabbat of the cow. You know, the Chick-fil-A cow. We should have had the Chick-fil-A cow out here for the Shabbat. Shabbat para means the Sabbath of the cow. Okay, but no, it wouldn't have been quite right. Why? Because this is a special Shabbat that is, uh, why is it called this? It's because of the extra Torah portion that's read on this Shabbat. And why is it read now? Well, and, and why is it placed here? It is an anticipation and preparation for Passover, which is coming up in only a few weeks. And, uh, and as I said, a special Torah portion is added that talks about the unusual rites that are associated with the para adama. Okay, the para adama. Okay, what is the para adama? It's more commonly known as the red heifer. The red heifer. Okay, right. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about this today. We're going to be examining it. Uh, and, uh, and it's, wow, it's deep, y'all. It's deep. It's deep. It's amazing. Wow, you've heard of the red heifer. Some of you have like, I've heard of the red heifer. I really don't understand it. We're going to dig into it today uh, so that we have a better understanding of it. But 
to understand really even about the red heifer, uh, and I, before I get into the nuances of the story, first you have to understand some philosophical background. Uh, to, and, and, and if you understand, this is kind of, if you will, the Jewishness of the book, the Jewishness of the faith, the Jewishness of the scriptures uh, to understand the red heifer and its connection to some other things, which are really amazing. But so you have to have some context here, uh, some nuance, some philosophical background. First, you have to know how special life is within Judaism. Within Judaism, it's known. I mean, you ask any Jewish person, like, well, what's the paramount thing that you are looking out for? I mean, it, it may seem a little bit obvious, but there's, trust me, a greater emphasis on life within Judaism than any other faith. Life must be preserved, life at all costs. This is, a, this is a reason why even Shabbat, I mean Shabbat, Sabbath, Shabbat is so important, especially within Orthodox and traditional Judaism. I mean, the, and, and honoring Sabbath is of such high regard. It's a sign, God says, we just read it earlier, it's a sign between me, God says, and the children of Israel forever. It's a sign for the Jewish people, and God is a, this covenantal thing. Shabbat, it's so very important. And yet even Shabbat can be violated if necessary to save life, to save a life. It can be put aside to save a life. Life is central. Even within modern-day Judaism, there's such a focus on tikkun olam, tikkun olam, literally meaning basically like repairing the world. Repairing the world, the life of the world that we're in right now, okay? Even the Kaddish, uh, if any of you are familiar with Jewish mourning, uh, mourning rituals and, and such, uh, even the Kaddish, uh, a prayer, we've got, we've got a memorial this coming uh, Monday evening, our, our dear uh, Jan Denmark, one of our members went to be with the Lord, her memorial is this coming Monday night, anyone is invited Contact the office if you want details. But even the Kaddish, which is a prayer that we recite when we remember loved ones who've passed on, it's, it's, like, it's, like, the, it's like the prayer that you pray uh, remembering someone who has passed away. But the prayer itself concerns itself nothing with death. It doesn't even mention anything about death. It's all about giving praise to God. That Now you think about that. It's, it's, it's a... It's an interesting dynamic, but it reveals something. It's revelatory towards the Jewish psyche, which was given to us by God himself. And I'm going to explain this. You have to understand this. Wow, there's a lot of moving parts to this message. Just stay tuned. It's going to really all connect in. Life is so important. Even when mourning the dead, your prayer is nothing about the dead. It's all about God and, 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 if you will, life, if you will. And this makes, of course, Leviticus chapter 17 in the Torah make even more sense. We know Leviticus 17, 11, you already know it. We don't need to turn to it. It says the life of a creature is in the blood, and it is the blood that makes atonement. It is the blood through which forgiveness comes. That's in the Torah, in Leviticus chapter 17. The blood is seen as, as very precious. Why is it seen as such a precious thing? Because it represents life. It represents life, which must be preserved. Life must be preserved. And so, 
therefore, what's the message that being, that's being sent by God when, when he says that if there is a sin, atonement only comes through blood? Okay, what that tells you is that sinning brings about death, right? Necessarily, because Leviticus 17. Sinning brings about death, and death represents that which we try to avoid. You see, and so God is sending a message. Don't sin. How bad is sin? Sin causes death which is antithetical to everything that you stand for as a Jewish people. It's antithetical to everything I've planted in you about life and preserving life. You see, God is sending an extreme message here. This is an extreme message. Now, yes, death happens, of course, but within traditional Judaism and Messianic Judaism, for that matter, if you get right down to it, death represents something false in a way. Okay, follow me on this. Like I said, man, this is, whew, boy, this is like, we're immediately just like right into Grand Canyon, man. It's deep here on this. Death represents something false in a way. Why? In what way? Because it masks the truth of eternity. See, if it, a disproportionate focus on death is seen by extension as giving in to an anti-God belief that death is the end when it is not. Oh boy, now, did, 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 did you follow me on that? That was a lot, man. When I was writing, I was like, whoa, boy, let me reread that to make sure I understand that. A disproportionate focus on death is seen by extension as giving into an anti-God belief that death is the end when it is not. Therefore, there's not this focus on death that many people and many faiths even have, uh, this focus on Death. Why? Because it's seen as something in, at its core, really, that is, that is a misrepresentation. So people think of death as in such, with such finality, right? Death is the end of life. It's the end of your life. But it's not the end of your life. It is the continuation of your life when your life transforms into something else. You understand? See, so when we die, that which we are, our physical bodies, just become a shell. But we continue on in another form. This is how it works. And so the point is, is, this, is that when you're focusing on death or even this, a, a dead body, if you will, it's really taking the focus this is very, very deep kind of stuff here. It takes the focus off the truth of God, which is, this is just a shell and it's just a transformation. This is the shell of like the, the caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. You know, a focus on the old shell of the caterpillar is, is pointless and, and actually is a distraction from the beauty of the butterfly. Do you follow me on this? 
This all connects to the, the focus on life that is within Judah. Okay, now with all this in mind, with all this in mind, now I want to start connecting all this to the special additional Torah portion that we have for today for Shabbat Parah, okay? Because we know that there are many things, and this all connects, trust me. There are many things that in the Torah caused people to become ceremonially unclean. You've heard about this. You've read about this unclean. In fact, it was a number of weeks ago we talked about leprosy and how that you know people were unclean and how they would become cleansed from leprosy or a bad skin disease, etc. There's a number of things and reasons in Scripture that you read about why people might become ceremonially unclean. And, and if you look at all the things that could make you unclean, perhaps nothing is more severe, more severely makes you unclean and requires more time and effort to become clean again. One of the things that is most prominent in this and most severe is being around a dead body. Wow, what a fun message, Rabbi. Bless. <laughs> now, you know, now, as many, as many, lots of people that we have watching on the internet, that's why we don't have millions, okay? Uh, the dead body message, that's really fun. Thank you, Rabbi. No, it's, it's not. Listen, friends, when people are around, there, there's this focus in Scripture that talks about being around a dead body as something that profoundly makes you unclean. But you have to understand that the history and the genesis of the understanding of, of why, which I've talked about some already here today. Now, guess, without question, yes, God surely knew the medical issues that might be caused by being around dead things. Sometimes you, you hear people say, well, the reason why they're the kosher laws, for example, is because God knew that eating a pig would be, is bad for your health. Okay, and yes, absolutely, that's true. There's no question about that. Uh, being around a dead a body uh, can be detrimental to your health. This is stuff that we know today that they didn't know back then medically. And to these things I say yes and amen. You're right, that is, that is absolutely truth that God understood, but it's more than that, and it's deeper than that. Uh, and, and even if these things were not medically appropriate, there are other reasons why God is doing these things. Because as I've explained, the sentiment in Judaism is more than just simply a medical quarantine from the dead body. No, it's a principle that a connection with death is inherently contrary to holiness, which is life, okay? So a, connect, a disproportionate connection to death is something that is contrary to holiness. So it makes you, God established in the Torah, that being around this dead body, touching a dead body, makes you ceremonially and ritually unclean. Why? He's sending a message about this, about what the focus should be and holiness, which is life. At the same time, of course, there is the very practical reality that good people must, at times, be exposed to death. I mean, there is that practical reality that people do, of course, pass away, and, and there are people, even in the medical profession or other areas, that people, loved ones who, who die in your presence. 
And, and that can be a beautiful transition for sure. Okay, so there is that practical reality though. So, so that God does not want us to disproportionately focus on death or dead bodies and all this stuff. But yet at the same time, there is the practical reality that sometimes it's, it's, it's part of life too, an unavoidable thing, that we'll have some interaction or contact with death or a grave for example, so how, so how would it be and how would it be that God sets up a cleansing so that people could be made clean again after having been around death? Well, I'm glad you asked because the answer is Shabbat Parah. That's the answer, which is the Shabbat that we're in right now. Okay, Shabbat Parah is placed soon before Passover. Why was Shabbat Parah, this particular portion, added and read right now, just a couple weeks before Passover? It was done strategically by uh, the sages. Why? Because as people would be flocking to Jerusalem, you know, Passover is one of the pilgrimage, Shalosh uh, Regalim, one of the pilgrimage holidays, where the, Jerusalem would be overcome with people and people would be bring their sacrifices, right? They knew that they would need to be cleansed. There would be a lot of people who'd been, who would need to be cleansed. Why? There might have been a good many, and surely there were a good many, who were ritually unclean because of some kind of exposure to death. And so with this influx of people all looking to come into the tabernacle and, the, and to offer sacrifices, it certainly seemed like the appropriate time to remember and reflect upon that which cleansed people so that they could come and bring their sacrifices. Okay, Numbers chapter 19. Now let's get into the text. It's funny because the, all this has been a little bit of background. I actually have a lot of, of scripture reading for you today, but it's just very important to understand the full context of everything. Okay, the method by which God brought about cleansing people in this state is very, very unusual. Even among the various rituals and rites given to the Jewish people already. Let's read about it. Numbers chapter 19. This is just very unusual stuff. Let's go start in verse 1. Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the Torah which Adonai commanded, saying, Speak to B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, that they bring to you a flawless red heifer on which there is no blemish and on which has never been a yoke. Give her... To Eleazar the Kohen, the priest, he will take her outside the camp, outside the camp, and slaughter her in his presence. Then Eleazar the Kohen is to take some of the blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. While watching, he is to burn the heifer, her hide, flesh, blood, and refuse. The Kohen is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wood and cast them into the midst of the burning heifer. Okay, so, so listen, here, here's the start of it. I want to paint this picture up for you, and it's important to understand it, to understand the big picture of everything that's going on here. Here it is, paint, paint the picture. They take a red cow. They call it the red heifer. When I was growing up, I heard about the red heifer. I wasn't sure what, what exactly is a heifer. It's a cow, okay? Oh, they took the red cow, okay? I wasn't raised on a farm, y'all. Come on, work with me here. They take the red cow, and it has to be, scriptures say, without blemish, without blemish, and one that has never been yoked, never had a burden that has been put on it, 
uh, controlled by someone else. And then it's taken outside the camp. This is very different. Outside the camp, I'm gonna go through all this, and it's killed on an altar. The priest is to take some of its blood and, and he, he has it in his left hand. He takes it with his finger and he sprinkles it seven times towards the tabernacle or the temple. Then the heifer is burned, adding wood, hyssop, and wool. And during temple times, during second temple and during temple times, where was this done? It was actually done on the Mount of Olives. Some of you have been with me to the Mount of Olives, okay? This is where the red heifer would have been burned. Now, if you understand the, the topography and the geography of Jerusalem and of Israel, you got the old city of Jerusalem, and then there's a valley, and right on the other side of the valley is the Mount of Olives. And it was on top of the Mount of Olives that this ritual was done. Okay, now, so God is, uh, God is going to review what the red heifer is for, because I've just talked about the red heifer and how it's burned up and how it's uh, given as a, as a burnt offering. Uh, and, and now we're gonna find out why and what the purpose of it. And I'll tell you, it's those that have been around death because they are unclean and they must be made clean again. And, and let's see here, uh, verse 11. Uh, so now we're gonna understand about people who uh, have been around dead people and touch dead people and how that makes them unclean. Verse 11, whoever touches any dead body will be unclean for seven days. Seven days. He is to purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and seventh day, he will not be clean. Anyone touching the dead body of any man who does not purify himself defiles, defiles Adonai's tabernacle. And that person will be cut off from Israel because the cleansing water was not sprinkled on him. He is unclean and his uncleanness will remain on him. Wow. Okay, so this is very severe. I want you to understand what it says here. It's, it, it's a, if somebody touches a dead body, around, it, it's a week-long, seven-day process for them to be made clean again. A lot of them are just, you know, go into the mikvah, dip one night, whatever, two nights. This is a week-long process before he can be made fully clean again. If they've touched, it's a severe thing. And boy, you can't go into the tabernacle area. Now, why would you go into the tabernacle or the temple area? You go there to offer a sacrifice, a sin sacrifice. God is saying you, you don't even enter the tabernacle area unless you are clean. So unless you've been cleansed, ritually cleansed from having touched or been around this dead body, you can't even get to the tabernacle to make a sacrifice for atonement for your sins. This is, this is like the, almost the, the way to even get in. You can't even get in unless you have this to offer your sacrifices if you're not clean. So you have to be clean if you've been around this death in this way. You have to be made clean. Now, it says that one has to be purified, it said, through the sprinkling of cleansing water. Now, what does that mean? How is that done? What does that mean, the sprinkling of cleansing water? Does this have anything to do with the red heifer and this, this burned up red heifer that we just read about a couple verses before? Yes, it does. In fact, it has everything to do with the red heifer and the ashes of the red heifer once it's burned up. We're going to skip down to verse 17. Check it out so we can understand it. For the unclean one, they are to take some of the ash, 
of the burnt purification offering. So that's the ashes from this red heifer and, and, and the other things that were thrown in with the red heifer. They're to take some of the ashes and pour some fresh water into a jar. Okay, so you got a jar of water with the ash, at least a little bit of the ashes. And then a clean person will take some hyssop, a plant, dip it into the water and sprinkle it on the tent, on all of the furnishings and the people who were there, as well as the one touching the bone, the killed one, the corpse or the grave. The clean person will sprinkle the unclean one on the third and the seventh days. He is to purify himself on the seventh day and on the seventh day, he's to wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and at the evening, he will be clean. Okay, wow again. Okay, so the ashes, the ashes of the red heifer, this, this, this offering, this burnt offering that's done on the Mount of Olives outside the camp, the ashes of the red heifer are combined with fresh water to make a mixture that if sprinkled on the unclean, they become clean, okay? Now, it's, it's very interesting here to see, okay, that's a very unusual ritual and rite. What is going on? Now, now the next point here that I wanna make, because I'm painting you a big picture here, is very interesting. Is a point that has confounded Jewish scholars for millennia. And for this, I wanna go back in the passage uh, a few verses to verse seven, something that has just baffled Chazal, uh, has baffled Jewish uh, scholars uh, and biblical scholars uh, for, for literally millennia. Verse seven. Okay, so getting back to the sacrifice when the Kohen offered the sacrifice, verse seven. It says, afterward, the Kohen is to wash his clothes. The Kohen is the one who made the sacrifice, right? The Kohen is to wash his clothes and bathe his flesh with the water. And afterward, he may come back into the camp. Still, the Kohen will be unclean until evening. And also the one burning it is to wash his clothes and bathe his flesh with water and he will be unclean until evening. Okay, so follow me on this because this is, this is why it's confounded scholars for so long because it's like, wow, that just, uh, how does that make sense? The priest, the priest who was involved in creating the concoction that would make people clean was himself made unclean by performing this burnt offering. Did you follow me on that? It's, it's so interesting. It's confounding. Why? why? That, is, that is baffling. The priest who, who makes this whole offering with the red heifer and is doing all this work in order to come up with this red heifer ash water concoction that's, that's sprinkled on people to make them clean. But in him doing this special offering, he is made unclean. Very deep, very interesting. This is so baffling, in fact, that, that Chazal says that only Moses understood why. This is what our rabbis came up with at the end of the day. Only Moses understood why. They even made a point in rabbinic writings to say, even King Solomon didn't understand this one. <laughs> it's 
So, so for the priest, for the Kohen, in taking on uncleanness, they allowed for others to be cleansed. I want to say it again. We're going to come back to it. In taking on uncleanness, they allowed for others to be cleansed. Some of you are getting ahead of me. Ooh. Now, what an interesting ritual that was, no doubt. Now, get ready. What I'd like to do now is to reveal how through this, friends, you can so clearly see Yeshua, the Messiah, through this whole burnt offering, because this truly is a shadow of the Messiah himself. It's very powerful, and this particular sacrifice, this burnt offering, was unique, very unique among all the rites, rituals, and sacrifices. I want to explain to you how. How this was different than anything else you read about in the Torah when it comes to sacrifices or offerings like this. So very, very interesting. Okay, first of all, know that this offering, this burnt offering, did not happen often. No, it didn't happen often at all. In fact, uh, rabbis say that the red heifer burnt offering only took place in history a total of nine times. Only nine times, they say, we don't know exactly, there's no historical record. They say only nine times uh, did, did, the, did the sacrifice take place and the ashes that were used for each heifer were preserved and could last for generations. So don't think about this as like an Ash Wednesday thing where it's you know really black and somebody's putting on dirty ash water on you. No, it's like the tiniest fragment of an ash could be put in a huge thing of water and, and it would, it would uh, make the water such that it could cleanse people. So they preserved these ashes for centuries and, and, and used them. And, and they were content, considered to still be purifying the ashes of the red heifer. And the reason why only nine times was primarily because finding an unblemished red cow was very difficult. This was the only sacrifice of all of the sacrifices you'll read about in the Torah that required an animal of a particular color. The only one. And halakha allows for no more than one miscolored hair on the animal that was not red. Okay, so that meant that for the, for the red heifer, for this red cow, if they found one hair that was white or black, okay, two, can't use it. It's got to be considered unblemished red. They said even the hoofs have to be reddish in their color. And it is a rare thing. The Temple Institute today is, is raising red heifers in anticipation of the next temple. But even they are having a difficult time with breeded red heifers, finding one without even more than one red hair. Uh, it's very interesting. And also, as a side note, and this is a neat little coincidence here, rabbis claim that the 10th heifer will be ushered in by the Messiah. So even they connect something about the red heifer with being connected with the Messiah. It's interesting, this connection. And remember, it had to be without blemish. This animal had to be without blemish, without fault. Hebrews chapter 4, please. Hebrews 4. Oh, get ready, man. These 
Ooh, it's deep and beautiful and amazing, and these parallels are something else. Hebrews chapter 4, Bavakasha, Arba. Hebrews 4, verse 14. It's talking about Yeshua, and hear what it says. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have a great Kohen Gadol, that's a high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Yeshua, Ben Elohim, Son of God, let us hold firmly to our confessed allegiance. For we do not have a Kohen Gadol who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all the same ways, yet without sin. So here is Yeshua that's being pointed out by the author of Hebrews, who is unique among all. Why? Because he is, wait for it, without blemish. He is the only one without blemish amongst all of us. He is without sin. And furthermore, his substance was unique, unlike any others. Also remember this, Yeshua had never been yoked. He had never been controlled. What is a yoke used for? A yoke is used for control, right? So that you can get the, 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 the cow to do what you want it to do. That's a yoke, right? You put the yoke, it's this contraption you put on the head and the, the bit in the mouth or whatever so that that cow does whatever you tell it to when you're looking for it to plow or whatever. But, but the red heifer could never, they say even if a yoke is placed on it for just a second, can't use that heifer. It's never been yoked. That's what it says in the scriptures too, right? Yeshua had never been controlled. See, friends, this is one of the reasons why the adversary, Hasatan, tried to tempt him to simply bow down to him. What did he say in the temptation, in the Mount of Temptation? He said to Yeshua, if you'll just bow down before me, this whole kingdom, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Just bow down before me. Yoke. And remember, too, also, as we're thinking about these things, that Yeshua entered into Jerusalem to be made a sacrifice from where? Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives. Okay, the red heifer offering was also unique as being the only offering made outside the camp. The offering of the red heifer was not done on the temple mount or in the confines of the tabernacle, but only very near it. Not in it, but near it. We know that Yeshua was taken to his execution where? Outside of the camp. It was outside the, the city walls of Jerusalem, just barely just barely back in those days. In fact, when I say just barely, there's debate today because there's, there's a couple places that claim to be the place where Yeshua was sacrificed, Golgotha, uh, there are different ways to, to say it. One of them is within the old city walls of Jerusalem today. And people say, well, how could that be? It's in the old city walls. Well, back in those days, the city walls didn't extend to that point. This, wherever it was that Yeshua was sacrificed, we know it was just outside the city walls. But, but cl very close within 
a stone's throw, so to speak, or just you know, within a half mile, very close, much like the red heifer uh, sacrifice was made. That's where Yeshua's sacrifice was. Additionally, unlike all other sacrifices, unlike all this, normally when there's sacrifices that are on the altar of the temple, the ashes are then taken and they're disposed of outside the camp. That's what happened to the ashes. But in the, in the case of the red heifer, the ashes were preserved and continued to provide cleansing. In fact, Many, in fact, many sects of Judaism, even today, believe that only if the original ashes of the red heifer that Moses had are found, could this go back into effect. Only if the original, and, and you say, how is that? Well, they say, and, and, and what we read is that the original red heifer, okay, that, that was taken back in, in Moses' day, the ashes, when they had the next red heifer, those ashes, those ashes were combined in with the original pool of the, of the first red heifer. This is what tradition says, right? And so it's only because it has this connection with the original ashes of the red heifer that they are purifying. So what, what is the point? The, in any case, and we know this biblically to be true, the ashes are eternally cleansing, the ashes are eternally cleansing. Check this out. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7, please. Hebrews 7, verse 26. You're already in Hebrews. Listen to this. Hebrews 7, 26. For such a Kohen Gadol, a high priest, was fitting for us, holy, guiltless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need to offer up sacrifices day by day like those of other Kohanim Gadolim, high priests, first for, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. No, for when he offered up himself, he did this once for all. Friends, Yeshua's cleansing is eternal. It's eternal. His sacrifice is good for eternity, for forever. Pretty cool. Hebrews chapter nine. Okay, and it is through this offering, and it is through the offering, think about the red heifer in this story. It was through this offering that those who were unclean with death were made clean again. It was through this sacrifice that they were, those associated with death, were made clean again. Hebrews chapter nine, please. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 11. Hebrews 9, 11 says this. But when Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol, high priest, of the good things that have now come, passing through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, he entered into the holies once and for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Listen to this. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Ooh, friends, I'm telling you, you can't understand Hebrews 9 unless you understand the red heifer. Oh, man, this is profound. Okay, so when the sacrifice was sprinkled on those who were unclean, they became clean. And remember that the unclean would not be allowed into the tabernacle as they would defile the tabernacle if they came in it, if they were not cleansed. So they couldn't come to the tabernacle because they would defile it. He would be cut off from his people, the scripture says. But through Yeshua's sacrifice, we who have been around sin, and therefore death, right? Sin means death, are cleansed into eternal life. We are made clean and allowed to enter into the temple, the presence of God, because of Yeshua's sacrifice. Man, I told you this was some good stuff. I got one more for you. Finally, 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 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to turn to it. Finally, and uniquely, (laughs) this was the only sacrifice, the only sacrifice in the Torah that made the priest that offered it unclean and the one who was sprinkled by it clean. Remember that this was the one I said is confounded Torah scholars for millennia, right? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, speaking of Yeshua. He made the one who knew no sin to become a sin offering on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow, do you see this? Just as promised in Isaiah 53, this was God's perfect plan. Yeshua, friends, mm, Yeshua was the unblemished, perfect sacrifice that was sinless, yet he took our sins upon him to make us clean. In taking on uncleanness, he allowed for us to be made clean. So my friends, when you see a red cow, <laughs> let it remind you of something of great significance that we, that we who are unclean were made clean by the one who became unclean in order to restore us into relationship with him. The title of my message is Red Heifer. Let's bow our heads. Man, Lord, thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I want to ask everybody to bow your heads for just a minute.
I want to ask if there's anybody who's here today who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart. Wow. This is the kind of, this is the kind of message, maybe you're watching even online, this is the kind of message that brings such revelation. Mm. If you're here and you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, but you'd like to, raise your hand and we'll pray together. Is there anybody? Is there anybody? If you've never said that prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah, you need to be cleansed, brother or sister. You need to be cleansed. It's that simple. It's not that complicated, really. It's that simple. We need to be cleansed. We're unclean. We're all unclean without the sacrifice. If you're watching online and maybe you've never said that prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, just say this prayer after me. Say, dear God, I accept Yeshua as my atonement. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe he's risen again. Please, Lord, I'll serve you the rest of my days. Thank you, God. If you said that prayer for the first time, please send us an email. We want to celebrate with you. And Lord God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for, wow, the amazing and unique story of the red heifer and the special Shabbat, Shabbat Pava. And uh, Lord, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for making us clean. Oh, thank you, God, for making us clean. We love you, God, with all of our hearts, and we thank you for these things in Yeshua's name. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call... 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Nine, 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 nine.